So we are continuing the series uh, that we started last week as we start off this new year. We are starting off with a focus on prayer uh, and on even just what does our prayer life look like? What should we be praying for? How, what's the good, right things to pray and, and even ways we shouldn't pray and how are our prayers effective? And, and with all of these questions, these are the same questions that even the disciples came to Jesus with. And Jesus uh, gave them certain guidelines on how they should pray and what effective prayer looks like and, and, and how much uh, prayer should be a part of our lives. And, and in the midst of that, as we start out this, this new year, as we continue to, to navigate just the, the craziness of our world, um, again, I, I just, as I was planning out um, messages and, and, and figuring on and seeking the Lord on what we need to be studying and when. And, and again, I just felt that conviction of saying, just start this year with prayer. Start this year with focusing your heart and your life on, on, on that connection that, that God desires to have with us through this primary communication between us and our Heavenly Father. And as, as you dive into Scripture and think about, uh, um, you know, all of the all that God wants to do in our lives, all that God wants to do through us, when we think about um, all that, that God needs us to do as individuals and as a church, God has big plans for 2021. And as we start out this year, we, we need to, again, take new ground in our community for Christ this year, how we're going to continue on with, with our journey of faith within our own hearts and as well as a church. And I, I'm excited to know that the Holy Spirit is with us, and we need to continue to tap into that power. And the primary way that we will do that is through prayer. As I said last week, we look at the foundation of all spiritual disciplines is prayer. And, and we, again, as, as a church and, and as individuals, are starting out this year focusing on prayer. Um, in the midst of Jesus' teachings on how to pray, he, he gave us the Lord's Prayer. He gave us this model prayer on, uh, on how... Um, Again, to how to pray and what effective prayer looks like. And um, so we're going to just dive right back into that text where we started last week, and we want to look at it again in Matthew 6, uh, verses 5 through 13. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible with you and you're here with us in person, you can grab one of those Bibles in, that are provided for you in the seats, and you'll see the page number there where you can find us in those Bibles. Uh, if you're with us online, again, hopefully you have your Bible with you. You can open, open up with me. Uh, but we're going to look back here at this text that we looked at last week, and we're uh, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, right, in Jesus' most famous sermon, um, as he was, uh, again, teaching us on more about prayer. Um, and so Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, this is all the reward they will ever get. And when, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in, in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on, as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. He said as we read this, 
this text, this, this section of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus addresses prayer. And, and again, he gives us a few um, comparisons to some very public prayers and ways that we shouldn't pray at first as he talks about those that babble on on the street corners and those that try to impress their, their deity with all their fancy words and routines. And again, Jesus says, you don't need all that. Right? And, and we saw last week as we kind of dove deeper into those verses and those preliminary uh, comparisons that Jesus makes and, and later in the Sermon on the Mount as he talks more about effective prayer. Um, just We know that the foundation for this series is knowing that effective prayer is more about your perspective and posture than it is about your practice. Now, our practice is still important, right? We still need to do it. In fact, as we saw last week, that was one of the the biggest limiting factors of why prayer doesn't work is because we don't do it. And and yet, if we do pray, right, Jesus says, again, for practice, the biggest important issue about our practice of prayer is that we we pray, is that we do pray. But, But beyond that is what perspective do we have when we pray? What is our posture when we pray? Not just our physical posture of, of kneeling or standing or raising your hands. Or, or the, and those can be important, but, but what is the posture of your heart when you come to the Lord? Right? Do we come to God again um, with an, an open mind and an open heart about what he wants to show us? Do we, do we come you know, seeking this all-powerful God that is also our Abba Father? What is the position and posture and perspective of our own mind and heart when we seek the Lord in prayer? Again, the biggest thing about our practice is that we need to actually do it and, and genuinely come to the Lord in, in that, that open communication with him on that personal level. Because as we read the, 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 the NLT version of the Lord's Prayer in our text this morning, you might notice that it's a little bit different than the traditional one. Right? Because the, uh, the traditional one, again, depending on your background, you might have recited it as a part of service or, or a part of your regular routine. Right? Or maybe you've never heard it before at all, but maybe you just heard it at a funeral. But if you've heard it recited, it's, it was not this version. Right? It was the King James Version. And again, that, I put that version on your handout for you. And, and just like we did last week, I want to go back through and let's, again, if you want to recite it with me, you can recite it with me. But as we look at this, this more familiar version of the Lord's Prayer. Right, it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. They said, now as we look at this King James Version, this more traditional version of it, uh, again, like I said, the NLT version is a little bit different. It's translated a little bit different, and, um, it, which, which is okay, right? Again, it, it's, it's going back, and that's why we have different versions, and there's strength in different versions of the Bible. We get to look at all the different ones and see the different connotations because um, some words and phrases, again, can get lost in translation. We've all heard that phrase before, haven't we? Lost in translation. But as we, as we do that and we look at that, again, we're going through each phrase of the Lord's prayers as, as we go through the series and, and seeing, uh, you know, again, not just the actual words of the Lord's prayer, but, but what was Jesus teaching us with each phrase? Again, we see that, that, again, this is a model prayer. Jesus says, pray like this as he gives us this model, and, and yet he was teaching us some very important concepts with each phrase. Last week, we, we looked at the very first phrase of, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. 
And this phrase, as we saw, describes a tension that we must manage as a part of our faith journey. This tension between our Abba Father, that deep personal connection with God. And then the other side of the spectrum is this all-powerful, sovereign, judgmental God. And, and the reality is God is both of those. Right? And Jesus addresses this in this very first phrase, right? That we, that we live in this tension and that, that God is both and that we find both as we seek the Lord in prayer and connect to him on a personal level, but also know that we are also tapping into all power. Right? The God who, who absolutely still does miracles even today. And so we see this tension here in this first phrase, and then we get to the second phrase, which is what we're going to look at today, which is, may your kingdom come soon. Now, as we look at this phrase, um, I think, first off, is, is in order to pray this, we need to, I guess, first understand what God's kingdom is. Right? We have this, this earthly definition of a kingdom, right? Of It's an area of land that is conquered by a government, you know, or a king or a, a high ruler, right? And, and again, everything is done their way and, and they're the boss, right? And, and we, we, we have this, this, again, earthly perspective of, of a kingdom. And yet um, it says, that, you know, again, this prayer that Jesus prays is, may your kingdom come soon. And again, the next, next question is, well, so where is it now, right? If, if it's coming soon, you know, we're praying that, like, what, what, does Jesus mean? I'll tell you is that, again, this whole idea and concept of the kingdom of God is, is one that, that is not easily understood, but it's also one that, that Jesus taught on quite a bit. And so we're going to dive into the kind of the main teaching out of Matthew of where Jesus addresses the kingdom of God. In fact, he addressed it several different places, but this morning we're going to focus on, on Matthew 13. Uh, so if, again, flip your Bible over a, a, a few chapters uh, to, from 6 over to 13. And, and again, if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you just to leave it open to Matthew 13. We're going to go back to it several times today um, into this as we work through what exactly is God's kingdom, right? And why do we need it to come soon? Um, which really, I think, is probably a pretty obvious question, right? If we think about that in our current time. But, so again, we're going to look at Matthew 13. We're going to start with the first nine verses. So Matthew 13, starting at verse 1. It says, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, and so he got into a boat, and then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. And he told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and as he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. And the seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on the fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. And anyone with ears should listen and understand. Now, we're going to stop there and just kind of kind of pause. Okay? And, and as we see here, um, you know, Jesus teaches them this story. 
And people were coming around and people were asking Jesus questions. And, and again, this is a time in his public ministry where he, he's teaching them all kinds of things. And, and, and as he does this, he, he teaches them with this parable. And, and now th- this parable, again, um, is just like a lot of different stories that Jesus told. Right? It is, we sit back and we're like, okay, great. Thanks, Jesus, for the story. But how does that help us? Now, this story is, is a setup for this extensive teaching that Jesus does throughout the rest of the chapter on the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of heaven really is and what it looks like and, and how we interact with that. And, and yet, as we you know, sit down here, we have the same question that the audience and the disciples had when they first heard this story. It's like, Jesus, what on earth does that have to do with anything? And as we read it, we're thinking, okay, I, I'm not sure. I don't get it. And, and so, but we first have to start, as, as, as Jesus sets this up, we have to remember and understand that God's kingdom is not an earthly one. That, that, that God's kingdom is, is bigger than our, our earthly human definition of what a kingdom is. In fact, we, we see here, as through Jesus' life, he taught this many times, and, and he made this claim about him being a king, right? And about his kingdom will be established. And in fact, this, this conversation leads all the way to the final hours of Jesus' life, as he ends up in front of Pilate, who had the power to execute Jesus or to set him free. And, and in fact, um, you know, as he goes through with the religious leaders and they bring him to Pilate and, and Pilate engaged in this conversation with Jesus about whether he really was a king or not. And, and, and again, Jesus gives him this answer. Okay, in John 18, verse 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. For if it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Okay, now this is a very interesting conversation between Pilate and Jesus. Right? And, and Jesus continues you know, to reiterate everything that, that he had taught up to this point and, and everything that even got him to this place where he's face-to-face with Pilate. Right? And notice, I mean, Pilate's first question is, again, you are being charged right, for, for over, trying to overthrow the Jewish leaders and all this stuff. So are you a king? Right, because, again, Pilate was looking for a way out here. He did not want to execute Jesus. And, and he comes and asks him, because if you're not a king, then I can just let you go and tell them that they're all crazy. Right, now, notice Jesus doesn't deny it, does he? Right, in fact, Jesus reiterates the fact that he has a kingdom. Right, and, and ultimately, that, that he is even the king. Right over not just the earth, but over all of creation. And again, as he establishes to uh, again to Pilate, he says, it's, "It's way bigger than you even think. It's bigger than you can understand. My kingdom is not of this world." Okay, we have to keep this in mind, even as we dive into um, this explanation that Jesus is setting us up for here in Matthew thirteen. That that Jesus's kingdom is not an earthly one. Jesus is absolutely a king, but his rule isn't limited or even focused on this earth. It's way bigger than that, which is exactly why it's hard for us to understand. And again, Jesus uses multiple examples 
and different illustrations and parables in this chapter to help us understand it as best that we can. And as we start build on this premise that, that God's kingdom is not an earthly one, then, then we, we start to work our way through this chapter. And, and right after he tells this story, again, the, the, again, the disciples and, and, and all the crowd, like, they didn't understand it. And, and yet they, they, they come and ask Jesus, like, uh, they, again, the disciples pull him aside and say, hey, can you help us understand what you, what you meant by this? And then we see in these, these following verses, in verses 11 and 12, okay, we see how, uh, again, he, Jesus replies to them. He says, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Now this is the first place we see in the text of where, where Jesus starts to reveal what this, this story about a farmer and scattering seeds really is teaching us about. Because notice again, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we don't, under, we don't get the story. Please help us explain. And then, and then he tells them, Right? Well, well, guess what? You get to understand about the kingdom of heaven. They're like, oh, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven? And, and Jesus says, but, but yet knowing that, again, you will get to understand. But in order to understand, you must submit yourselves to the king. Right? That's the first step. If you don't submit yourselves to the true king, then you, you will never Get it. You will not be permitted to understand. In fact, even what you think you know will just fade away. Right? And, and even the, the key to understanding, not just this parable, but just the teachings of Jesus, is, is that first step of submitting yourself to the king. Right? And, and as we, again, in, in our church family, we talk about our journey, and that's that's. What we say, that's how you join the journey, is you accept Jesus as your Savior. You submit yourself to the real King. Right? And invite Him into your life. It's the acceptance of Jesus as your Savior. It's, it's surrendering to His authority. It's accepting His grace and His forgiveness. And your life gets to start over in a new direction with a new King. Now, as, as we look at this phrase within this Lord's Prayer, and again, I understand it feels like we've been on a rabbit trail, but I'm bringing it back together right now. Okay, when you look back at this phrase, right, of may your kingdom come soon, Jesus, Jesus gives us this, this story as he introduces this teaching, and then he shows the disciples, he kind of pulls it back and says, but hey, this is about the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and now that you have submitted yourself to the king, now you'll get to understand it. And now we dive deeper into this, and again, this is what Jesus is, is even teaching us, and, and this concept he wants us to get within the, the Lord's Prayer, saying, you know, it, it starts with these, all these aspects of faith. In fact, this, this phrase, may your kingdom come soon, addresses three different aspects of our faith. Okay, and, and the first aspect is exactly what we've already talked about, and that is that God's kingdom being established in my own Right? Am I willing to submit myself to the one true king? Am I, am I ready to invite him into my life, to, to get the presence of the Holy Spirit living within my heart and, and to open my eyes to, to real understanding? 
as we pray this phrase, that's first and foremost is saying, Lord, establish your kingdom in my own heart and in my own life. It is establishing that God is my king. And that the kingdom that I belong to as his child is not one of this earth. It's way bigger than that. And and as we we realize that and, and know, right, it's just this natural question that we must first address within our own lives and our own heart. Again, as we pray, anytime we pray this phrase, is God really my king? Who is my king? Who is the king of my life? And yet I'll tell you, what the world teaches us is that we are the king of our own lives. Okay, and so many times, again, even if we show up to church, and even when we start to hear and try to learn about that, if, if we are still seated on the throne of our own heart, you are going to struggle in your faith. We must first ask this very basic question, who is the king of my own heart? Is it myself? Uh, is it somebody else? Is it, is it a thing? Is it an idea? Is it, is it a goal? Right? Or is it Jesus? Who's really my king? Right, what is my life really about? Who is on the throne of my heart? Again, which, which literally leads us to, to the meaning of this first parable, this, this farmer scattering seed. Okay, Jesus explains it after he kind of says, hey, by the way, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. And, and there's some interaction with the disciples. And then in verses 18 through 23, Jesus explains this parable. It's picking up in Matthew 13 um, at verse 18. It says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or, the persecu- or, or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produced a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as has been planted. And you hear Jesus lays it out here, the exact meaning of what this teaching is. And, and notice, where does Jesus start? He says the explanation, right, is about the kingdom. Right? And it starts within our own hearts. Right? It's who is really your king? Who is on the throne of your life? Is it Jesus or is it something else? And even within this parable, we see that, that Jesus describes, right, all what the everything else is might be. Right? It might be that, that you hear about Jesus, right? I mean, if you're, right, the, the rocky soil, the hard ground, the, the thorns and the weeds, right? There, there, there's so many things in this world that fight for the throne of your life. 
And, and again, Jesus says, but, but the kingdom starts right here. In your own heart. Have, have you received, not just received Christ as your Savior, but are, are you continuing to grow in your faith and, and let that faith grow into something significant? And, and, and the reality is that a lot of believers have Jesus a part of their life, but he's not on their throne. Right? He, he might be your Savior, but is he actually your Lord? Which means he's the king of your life. Is Jesus really your king? Right? That's where we start with the kingdom of heaven. Right? And when we pray this phrase, we, we, that's what we're really seeking. And then here in, um, as, as we move deeper into this teaching, into 13, we, Jesus reiterates this teaching with two additional illustrations. Okay, in verses 31 and 33. In 13, verse 31, he says, And now here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants, and it grows into a tree, and the birds come and make nests in its branches. And Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And as we see these, again, two additional illustrations that Jesus uses about this first and most foundational aspect of the kingdom of heaven. As he, he uses the example of a mustard seed, of how it starts out small, but if it grows, it grows to be into a huge presence, right, in this large tree. And, and not only this big presence, but it also, it affects more than just itself, right? It says it provides shade, it provides, you know, place for the nest and the birds and, and all this to rest in its branches. It starts out really small, but it turns into something with a big presence and it helps more than just itself. Again, they, they, you kick yourself out of the throne of your own life and you replace it with Jesus. And then he also then uses this, idea of yeast. And again, it starts out small, just a little bit, put in a, a small portion of the dough, and yet it, if, if it stays alive, it continues to permeate and, and go into every aspect of the dough, right, until it, it takes over the dough, and that's when the dough rises. Now, again, this, this is a great illustration because when you think about that, right, it, I mean, it changes the dough, Right? And yet the, the reality, too, is if, if you've ever baked bread before, you also know that you have to be careful not to kill your yeast. Right? And because if, if it dies, right, then it doesn't affect it the way it's supposed to affect it. Right? And the same is true. That's exactly what Jesus tells us, isn't it, in this parable, right? Is that, that hey, your faith needs to stay alive. And if it does, it will grow and it will change everything. Right? And, and when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are first and foremost praying and asking the Lord to say, continue to grow as the, the king on the throne of my heart and grow my faith. Right? And, and then we see this, this next aspect, right? As, as you said, it's, it's this phrase addresses three different aspects of faith. First is our own heart and also God's kingdom being eternally established with the second coming of Christ. 
it starts in our own hearts, right? And then it says, now, Lord, may your kingdom come soon. And, and this, um, this phrase also comes with a, a very eschatological tone. Again, that's a, that's a scholarly word, and so I'll tell you what it means. All right, eschatology means the study of the end times. Okay, and, and anything eschatological means the end of the world, right? Or when Jesus comes again. Again, Scripture is very clear that Jesus will come again in his second coming. Right now, again, it's, it's kind of been the running joke of 2020, which is kind of spilled into 21, right? About like, okay, Jesus, are you coming now? Because this would be a great time. Right? And yet, as we, as we see this, there's, in fact, the, the tone of the entire prayer, not just this phrase, but, but as we work our way through it, we'll see the tone of the entire prayer is very end times focused. Right, which is an important point because, again, Jesus is teaching us in this model prayer not just to focus on the present and the time, but also to be looked forward to the future. Right, just say that, that God is still at work and he has plans for the future and what he is doing ahead of us, and not just right now, but for eternity. And again, that goes back to the, even the aspect of the fact that God is sovereign and all-powerful and is eternal. Right, that he is the uncreated creator. Right, that he will not, um, again, ever end. And when we think about, again, our life for eternity with him in heaven, I mean, that's, right, we're establishing the fact that God is an eternal God. Right? And when we see, again, the tone of this, this second aspect that this, this phrase brings out is, is focusing us on the second coming of Christ. Because the reality is there's a lot of hope in knowing that he's coming back to fix it all, isn't there? I find hope in that. I hope you do too. And, and as, we, as we look at this, this aspect of, of what we're praying as we pray for God's kingdom to come soon. Again, Jesus, once again, in the middle of Matthew 13, intertwined in all of this, is, is Jesus gives lots of, a couple different teachings as he, as he addresses the, the end times part of the kingdom of heaven. In verses 24 through 30, he, he talks, gives a, a parable about the wheat and the weeds. In verses 36 to 43, he explains this parable and again says that it's literally, it's at the end of time when, when, when Christ returns and at the final judgment and he will separate the wheat from the weeds. And I think when he, we realize, right, he already used it in this very first illustration about the weeds are not good. Right? In fact, the weeds are the antithesis to faith. Right? And then he addresses in this parable about how the, the, the weeds literally are, 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 are evil and are Satan's plans to get us away from God. Right? And then he once again addresses it in verses 47 through 50, which I again want to, want to read together this morning. Matthew 13, picking up at verse 47. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. And when the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. And that is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand all of these things? 
You see here, again, Jesus, I mean, he's pretty clear. I mean, there's, there's no interpreting to be done here, is there? Right? Jesus gives us this, this another story, another illustration of, of fishing, right? And then he, he gives us the meaning of it, right? Right in the same breath. Right, is that there will be an end of the world as we know it, and when we do, there is a judgment. Right, and I will be separating out right, those who, who have faith and who know me and are saved and those who don't. Right, and it will be sealed for eternity. Again, at the, at the second coming of Christ right, is when Jesus will be established as king over all of creation. And again, this, this is, again, the future hope, right, that we have in praying this phrase. Not just is his kingdom established in my heart now, but, but knowing that, that, that he will be established as king over all at his second coming. Right, that, that at the final judgment, right, that it will be done. Now, again, the, the good news, right, about this still remains the fact that he hasn't come yet, right, which means the nets aren't full. Right? Because when the nets are full, it's, it's too late right? to, be, to be transformed into a good fish. But you absolutely can be transformed into a new fish now because he hasn't come, which leads us back to the, to the first part. Have you joined the journey of faith? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Right? Is, have you made God the king of your life? That's how you become a good fish. Right, that's how you end up in eternity with God instead of thrown into the fiery lake. And, and I don't even know exactly what weeping and gnashing of teeth means, but I, I don't want to be a part of it. Right, as, we, as we see this, right, we, we understand, uh, um, again, this, this picture that Jesus is giving us of, of these, these two aspects, that it's about who's king of my own heart and about who's going to be king over all creation for eternity. Again, remember, his kingdom is not of this world. It is bigger than an earthly kingdom. And then we get to this question in, in verses 51 and 52, and Jesus addresses the disciple, and he says, do you understand all these things? Yes, they said, we do. And then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Now, just an educated guess, but, but I think the disciples did understand in that moment what Jesus was teaching them, but, but they were a lot like us, right, in that we, we don't always get it. Right? Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we, we backslide a little bit. Sometimes we're, we're not, we don't live out what we know, and because, again, we can follow the disciples. Right here, they tell Jesus, like, yep, Jesus, I get it. I understand the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for all of the stories. And, and then Jesus gives him this next charge. He says, good, now, now that you get it, now that you understand, right, now that you, you're a good fish, right, now that, that, that you're, you're the plant that is growing to a harvest, now, now that you get this, he's saying that every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, if you are a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, then you will be like a homeowner who brings to storeroom new gems of truth. Again, we should all be disciples of his kingdom. 
as we pray this phrase in that Lord's Prayer, we, we should be acknowledging this fact, and, and yet we can't forget that we, what we know of God. Right? That we need those old gems of truth. We, need, we can't forget what we know of God, but we also need to keep learning. Right? We need to keep seeking the Lord for those new gems of truth. Right? Say, again, a homeowner has a responsibility. Right? And it's to, to maintain what they have been given. Okay? And, and as, as a homeowner of our own faith, to say that I need to claim God as my king every single day. Right? That my faith needs to keep growing. That if the second coming hasn't come, then my journey's not done. Right? And, and as we understand these things, and again, the, the natural progression of our faith, Right, as it continues to grow, is that we should get to the place where we become a teacher. Right, that we know enough about God that we start influencing other people and helping them figure out their faith. Again, this is a concept that we studied more in depth as we studied First Timothy, which was a couple series ago, like right before Christmas. Okay, the title of that series was Companion for the Journey. So if you missed that one, I encourage you to go back there and 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 watch it again, listen to it again, and, and continue to, to learn about that, right? The fact that we should all get to the place where we are leaders and teachers of God's stuff. Now, lots of different roles within the church family of how that plays out, but, but every believer should get to that place. But now, again, when we look at these first two aspects, right, and the more that we understand that God's the king of my own heart and that, that he's coming again and that he will be established for eternity, the more that it all culminates and leads to this very last aspect of our faith about God's kingdom. And that is that God's kingdom is being spread to other people through me. That God's kingdom doesn't end with me. right? But that God wants to use each of us, all of us who are a part of God's kingdom, who have claimed him as our king, that he uses our lives to expand his kingdom. Because God, again, wants to save as many as he can save. That is the heart of who God is. He doesn't, he doesn't want to throw any bad fish away. Right? And, and that's the final aspect of faith. As we pray this phrase, is that the knowing that God's kingdom is spread through me to other people. And, and again, if we truly believe in those first two aspects, then it motivates us towards this one, doesn't it? Right? Because the reality is even those that we love, if we don't share with them or show them who God is by our own lives and our own faith, and if we don't share that with them, then they will be thrown into that lake of fire that we want nothing about and nothing to do with. And, and again, do we, do we love people enough to share that with them, to show them what it means to have a real, live, growing faith and, and to have Jesus as the king of our heart and, and again, to have that eternal perspective in fact, we see here that going back to this very first parable that we started with, right? That's literally the way that it concludes in Matthew 13, verse 23. He says, that the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and, and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much has been planted Again, that's the goal of every farmer, isn't it? I mean, the, the goal of every farmer is to produce a, a harvest, Right? We, you know, they, we don't put in all the work, right? and farming is incredibly hard work. If you're a farmer, I, I respect you a lot, and I'm thankful for your work because I enjoy eating. 
Hey, but, but that's the point of farming, right? It's to produce a crop, to produce a harvest, to get the payoff at the end. Right? And again, the ultimate payoff of our faith, not only is our eternity with God forever, but if, of producing a harvest of our faith, of helping others find that same knowledge and trust in our Savior. To help them put Christ on the throne of their life. Right? When we pray this prayer, when we pray this phrase, may God's kingdom come soon. It addresses all three of these phases of our faith. Is God the king of my heart? Right? That God, God's kingdom will be established for eternity, not just on earth, but also in heaven. And am I doing my part to help expand his kingdom? Right? Because that is always God's will, right? Is to expand his kingdom into more hearts, to save more people. Right, which brings me to my final thought today, and that is this. The world tells us to build our own kingdom, but the journey of faith leads us to fully surrender and submit to the one true king and to work at expanding his kingdom. So what kingdom are you building? Are you building your own kingdom, or are you building God's kingdom? Right, and when we pray that phrase, right, we are in telling God that I am committed to not just you being the king of my own heart, but I'm committed to expanding your kingdom through my life. Again, I don't know where your faith is today. I don't know what kingdom you're building, but I hope that, number one, you have started your faith journey. You've accepted Christ as your savior. If you haven't, I hope you give him your heart today. And if, if you are, if you have Jesus in your life, then is he really your king? And what are you doing for the king? Are you serving him in every moment? We respond today as we conclude our service. And as we do that, I encourage you again to, to respond to God's voice this morning. If you need to pray and accept Christ your savior for the first time, I hope you'll do that. If you need to, to commit your heart and say, hey, you know what, you're, you're in my life, but you're not on the throne, then, then put him on the throne today or just follow through what God's leading you to do to expand his kingdom beyond your own heart. Again, you can pray and respond in your seat, and you're welcome to do that. If you want to come forward and to pray and respond, you're welcome to do that. And you can come forward over here on this side, and you can stand or kneel and pray and seek the Lord by yourself. Nobody will bother you. If you want to talk with somebody or pray with somebody about how to receive Christ or, or rededicate your heart or put him on the throne, you can come over here on this side. Somebody will meet you and talk with you and pray with you. But let's stand together as we respond to this teaching this morning.
God, that's our prayer this morning, God, that you would truly be the king of our heart. God, that every moment we're awake, every, every decision we make, Lord, every, every conversation, Lord, every breath, God, is about serving our king and about expanding your kingdom. Lord God, I pray, God, that you would forgive us in times, Lord, when we've, we've kicked you out of the throne. God, we've taken it back for ourselves or, or focused on the wrong things. But God, I pray, Lord, that as we go this week, that you would be seated firmly on the throne of our hearts. And God, that your kingdom would continue to expand. God, expand in our own hearts. God, take new ground in our lives as you continue to transform us and mold us into who you need us to be. And God, take new ground in our community. God, and in our nation, in our world, Lord. I pray, God, that you would use each one of us, Lord, as your servants to expand your kingdom on this earth. Lord, we thank you for being our king. God, for saving us. Lord, for transforming us. And God, may you use us as we go this week, Lord, as we live out our faith, as our faith grows, Lord, as it helps others. God, may you be glorified. Guide us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.